Hello and a very warm welcome to the gardening podcast that's for everyone who enjoys growing their own flowers, fruits and vegetables. I'm Dan and I'm Julia and together we're two good gardeners. We're an all-inclusive podcast so whether your garden is big or small, north or south, sunny or shady, we are here to share our gardening know-how and great ideas that you can try at home. We upload a new episode every fortnight packed with news, timely tips and the occasional interview with gardeners we admire. Think of this podcast as a bento box of delicious goodies to be consumed with gusto. And now we've whetted your appetite, let's crack on with episode 6 of series 2, sponsored by Alatex, home of the modern Victorian greenhouse designed in the UK for over 70 years and built worldwide. So welcome everyone to our special edition of Two Good Gardeners, devoted entirely to greenhouse gardening. Many of us have a greenhouse, but do we really make the most of it all year round? And for those of us who don't, how might a greenhouse help us keep growing for 12 months of the year? So today we've come to the headquarters of Alatex, the Rolls Royce of greenhouses, to find out more. Nelly, could you tell our listeners a little bit about Alatex and how you became involved? Of course. Well, firstly, welcome to Alatex. Thank you. Pleasure to have you here. Thank um, you. It's a lovely day. Um, yeah, I, Alatex is a family business. And Tom, Tom's father acquired the business for the princely sum of one pound in the mid-80s, I think. And after a short time, Tom got involved, took it over, and has been running at it sort of since the early 90s. So he's got over 30 years in. I was in the bar business. That was what I did, the hospitality industry, which I loved. I liked the fact we brought our own work worlds to each other and discussed that, but not in the same place. And then we got married. I had our first child, Ruby, in December, late December. And by March, I was starting to get a bit twitchy. I'd only left my previous role two weeks before I had Ruby. And then I was starting to get a bit twitchy. And I started taking photographs because I could be self-sufficient. I could have her in the car. We were doing a new brochure. So Philippa, the marketing, marketing manager at the time, said, right, here are a load of places, addresses. I learned how to use a medium format camera and I was off. How brilliant. So that was the introduction. And then I suppose I've wheedled my way in <laughs> gradually over the last 20 years. And it's worked brilliantly around having children, family life. Um, you know, you work as and when, weekends, evenings. You know, you can do stuff at home. Well, but they're all a bit older now, so it's much easier to get even more involved. Yeah, that's a perfect career with children. It sounds like you've planted yourself in all sex. What did you have? Yeah. And I think the good thing is Tom and I are very different. So he is numbers, strategic, loves a spreadsheet, engineering, manufacturing processes. I am quite scatterbrained, quite uh, creative in comparison. So all things, how we look, feel, sound is very much my area. And that mm -hmm. kind of really follows from what I was doing in the bar business. So it's what, and I, I think I can do something if I love it. If I love something, I'll give it everything. And I'm not very good at going through the motions. So mm -hmm. the one thing that's been lovely, I've loved gardens since I've been quite small, you know, growing warty radishes and carrots in the garden when you're a kid. So I think there's always been a seed of horticulture there. So we are sat in this glorious building. It's like a, like a conservatory. We're surrounded by geraniums. There's that lovely greenhousey smell, which mm -hmm. I just find so evocative. For people who don't know very much about Alatex greenhouses, what is it that's so special about them? 
We have taken everything that we do well, I think, from the Victorians. So we haven't been innovators in the sense of the design. What we've been is faithful to the design because the Victorians, they were the great plant collectors. They were bringing precious, precious specimens from all over the world. So they put all the thought into it. Things like maximum glazing, ventilation. Ventilation is often overlooked in a good greenhouse or conservatory, actually. Um, and the aesthetics, the height of the top of the door compared to the eaves height. So you can't see here, but if you look at the greenhouse over there, you can just see the side of the lobby. The, the top of the door is always above the eaves of the greenhouse. It just looks right mm -hmm. when, and that's what the Victorians did. It's the 45 degree roof pitch as much as you possibly can, just gives you the optimum buoyant atmosphere inside. And, and some of the details, we've literally taken castings for bent gear and spandrels that the Victorians would have used and emulated them all in aluminium. So what we've brought to the party is modern materials, modern technology, making sure that it's a building that's going to last. So whereas sadly we are replacing lots of very beautiful Timberwell Victorian greenhouses, because even, I mean, they've lasted a long time, lot, a lot longer than some of the timber greenhouses that get put up in the last 20 or 30 years, which we've also been replacing. Um, I think people, they live busy lives. I don't know that there's the patience in our lives to sand down the glazing bars on a greenhouse inside and outside, treat them and then paint them mm -hmm. every few years. And using hardwood as well. I think some people cut corners and greenhouse, wooden greenhouses and maybe don't use Right sort of wood. Well, we don't season wood either in the mm -hmm. same way that the, they did. And also they used a lot of steel um, and we do use steel. At the moment, we've actually got a greenhouse going to the States and it's got a huge wind and snow load where it's going. So we have a steel frame, which we've had made because we don't make steel in our factory. And then that forms the solid structural integrity of the building. And then we make our greenhouse, you know, so we have to, wherever we go in the world, we know exactly what we have to do from a weather point of view. So again, we bring technology to the table. You know, we really pride ourselves not only on the beauty and the aesthetics, but also on the high functionality. So we said earlier on in the intro that, you know, you make greenhouses worldwide. How do you ship your greenhouses to a different country, for example, states one? Do you send a team from here to go with all the equipment and the building materials or do you use people in different countries to build. We put up our greenhouses, that's it. When it goes overseas, we do a trial erect here just to make sure everything is there, it all fits, all works beautifully. Then we paint it, wrap it very carefully and it goes into a container. And we try for an, an economy for the customers to make sure that we you know, try and put a few projects together. So our installers love trips <laughs> to the States. They do. Trips we've had with this Japan. In Chile, when we put the greenhouse up there, they had um, guards patrolling for pumas around the uh, outside of the garden, and they didn't kill them; they were just scaring them away. But, yeah, that's quite a really cool <laughs> environment to put the greenhouse up in. And so Japan, yeah, wherever they go, our guys will go, and I think they quite enjoy some of the trips that they can get. We, you know, it's nice if they can get a day or so to just go and explore and wander rather than it be too back to back. Um, so yeah, we do it ourselves. Brilliant. So. Perhaps you could start by just explaining what, what's the benefit of having a greenhouse in the garden? How does it sort of expand your gardening horizons? 
I think having a greenhouse allows you to garden all year round. And it allows you to garden on days when you really just don't want to be outside. And I speak now from proper experience. I didn't before. We decided this time last year that our garden at Chelsea Gardens, not a garden at Chelsea, it's a stand at Chelsea. We are a trade stand. Um, and we wanted to show what you can do when you have a greenhouse. So we started in December of last year sowing in the greenhouses here. And we were learning as we were going. What we appreciate if you have a greenhouse is firstly, some obvious things you can overwinter inside so you can protect from the harshest of the weather. So we had a fully fledged vegetable garden with produce at the end of May, which if you haven't had a greenhouse, you would have had all of those things, but you'd have had them two months later, probably. Um, and if you want to grow and produce and be really highly productive, your season in the UK is shorter, isn't it? So, you know, you aren't so light. I've learned light is in the greenhouse probably more important than heat. Um, we sowed the first things in December. We went peas, broad beans, runner beans, sweet peas. So excited in January when they all came <laughs> up and... We had a little heater and we had a weekend when it went down to minus five, minus six. And I put a little heater in the other greenhouse just to try and stave off the worst of it. And the power tripped, came in on Monday and everything's black. So literally we lost everything because we had no heat. So we've learned that you have to keep it frost free. That frost can't get in. And if it does get in, Every, I mean, we lost, it was exceptionally cold and snap in, in January. We lost ferns, succulents. We then sowed everything. Actually, what we did do with the beans and peas is we chopped them down. We didn't throw them away. We chopped them down and they came back. And then we just started sowing and sowing in January. What we did do when everything started coming up, we had, we sorted out the power then. We then got LED lights. And that made such a difference because too much heat makes it leggy and spindly and it makes it shoot up so it gets really exciting it's like well look at it all but then it just kind of kind of keeps going and going and going and it doesn't look as healthy as it does when you keep the heat low but you get that light and that's what we all crave isn't it and in those dark wintry months we crave light and actually the more i the more i get involved the more i see that we're exactly the same as plants what's good for plants is good for people so we just got going early and we absolutely oh we sowed far too much you know we were giving away half trays because the other one you're freaking it out and they're like and we filled like 50 pots and we've got 10 other trays to put on so um lessons we learned we definitely don't over sow stagger it um and don't don't go too heavy on heat but try and introduce some light if you want to get going energy and i I suppose we were harvesting stuff in, we harvested stuff throughout the summer, but we, you know, if we had succession sown, because we were so focused on Chelsea and everything looking great for Chelsea, that was our focus. Whereas if we had succession sown, we would have been able to keep it rolling. So a longer season and also a really comfortable working environment. I mean, who wouldn't want to work in here, frankly, but... Um, it, it is a lovely place to be on a horrible day, isn't it? It was magical. The one top tip is put your bags of compost in the greenhouse. Oh. Yeah. The days that we were going into, right, Eddie, let's go in and let's sow loads of pot on. Go outside, pick <laughs> up rock-solid bags of compost. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, we'll do something else for a while. 
I think, Nelly, you've been slightly hiding your light under the bushel then or under the bush with talking about your trade stand because you did win Best Trade Stand Award from the RHS, which was a massive accolade and testament to your growing from here because everything looked so tip-top, more so than the professional growers at the show. It was incredible. It's very kind, Julia. It really was. There was a lot of luck. What was really lovely about Chelsea this year was we did it. It was a huge team effort. A group of us went in March, I think. We did crazy sculptures out of whatever we foraged in the woods near them. So we used that to grow all the beans and sweet peas and everything up. Um, we were trialling a few things, actually, which are really, really relevant. We were trialling some um, insulation. We trialled a rainwater harvesting um, and people got involved with planting, they got involved in doing some potting on here. And it was really a very big team effort. And you get that was here. And it was just lovely, actually. It was felt like we'd created something that had real integrity and it was a nice place to be for the week. Um, so that's the sort of productive side of a greenhouse, I guess. What other uses do you see people making of the greenhouses that they buy from you? I think one word I haven't said yet that comes up every time we pop a greenhouse up, whether it's the full extent of Chelsea or something like the Country Living Fair, and there is a nostalgia, there's a feel, you sort of alluded to it earlier, Dan, they have a magic about them. And I think it's because you are surrounded by nature and all the things, again, go back to what's good for plants, is good for people. We are at our best, I think, when we're outside. And this gives you that indoor-outdoor blur, that crossover, which is lovely. And we're surrounded by green, we're surrounded by plants, you can get your hands in the soil and increasingly you know gardening became a huge thing in covid when people had the time they were at home they really reaped the benefits of getting their hands in the soil and whether it's growing food to eat or flowers to enjoy or to cut and bring in your house i think it really it really helped boost all the attributes of gardening which you guys know obviously mm. um, and i think the space just gives you just a great feeling. And then what do you do in it? Well, we've had people who, we always show at least a table and a chair and maybe a radio and maybe a kettle <laughs> um, and maybe a little table and a few chairs. And, you know, I went round to a friend's house who is an Altex customer actually. And we went and sat in her greenhouse in mid-September, it was a bit chilly outside. It was a full moon, it's very beautiful. You could see the full moon through the glass. And we just sat in her greenhouse and have wine and some cheese and it was lovely really nice space to do all of those things we've done artist studios um there's a lovely greenhouse there's somebody who keeps butterfly collections see i knew there were going to be some interesting uh, things that i haven't even contemplated yeah there's lots i think the only limit really is your imagination how you want to get the most out of the space and as you say, the lights just makes. So, I mean, I can I can see why people would want to work in one, because the lights is just yeah. really sort of invigorating, isn't it? Yeah. Even on a cloudy day, and you know, in January, February, when it was lashing down with rain, we were in there. We had the radio on quietly in the background. You can hear the rain, and you're you know you're, you're still Protected. doing all of those yeah. things. How would our listeners maximise their growing use? in a greenhouse for winter. So a lovely thing to be doing is bulbs. Um, you can use your outside and the greenhouse because you know if you buy like a really lovely little pot and you take them straight in the house, they just go boom, boom too yeah. much heat. 
and they'll go leggy and then they'll flower and then by the time you really want them all to be glorious, they've just they've gone. You're supporting them with everything you can. Um, so again, the greenhouse is a great place to sort of get them going. Buy the bulbs yourself. You don't have to go and buy them already in pots. You can buy all the bulbs early enough. Get them going in the greenhouse. And then you can kind of play a bit with them. So you can sort of be staggering them, bring put them outside to slow them down, bring them in. Then you can have a lovely succession mm. rather than a hit at once. Salads you can be growing all year round, as you know. And there are hardier varieties that are better to grow in the winter. Potatoes, you can grow potatoes. If you have a raised bed particularly, you can get those going in, I think, September's the time. So you can be harvesting potatoes in December. And now we are sowing for the next season and so you know you go early with peas broad beans sweet peas green beans you're getting really robust plants ready and ready to go for next year um as well as you know if you have dahlias you want to be pulling out and bringing in you can put them under your bench maybe in a if you have like robust plastic or when it's not to get wet um and then there's a lot of things that you want over winter cuttings a really good time to take cuttings um we're trying to propagate quite a lot of our geraniums, see if we can grow that stock for next year. Um, so there are lots of bits and pieces you can do. And I think it's also a nice thing to experiment, you know, try things out. Yeah. Rocket's a good thing, again, if you like rocket or some salad. I like that idea about experimenting because the rest of the year you get on a bit of conveyor belt, can't you? It's like, yeah. you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Whereas in the winter, when there's a bit less stay, you can sort of try a few things yeah. out, can't you? I went to... Charles Dowding's No Dig Force a few weeks ago, which was great, lovely, inspiring place, homemakers. And I bought some seed trays, the coolest seed trays. Um, and I thought, right, we've got to play with these. And Helia, garden goddess, also gave us up to the Country Living Fair some leftover seeds that she had in their boxes that sort of passed their business. And Eddie and I did some sowing two weeks ago, and it's all up. And now it's like, oh, right, okay, what are we going to do with this now? So we're, again, experimenting. We'll put it on, we'll keep it going. Um, and that could give us a really nice head start for growing. We've got lots of space here to grow. We've created new beds. So we want to be creating lots of flowers mm. and stuff for our beds here, but also we've got Chelsea. So we're seeing that we can, here, we can just experiment. There's no right or wrong. And we can grow stuff and make it work. I'm really interested in the heating question because we've touched on it quite a few times it obviously clearly makes a big difference if you can heat your greenhouse what sort of advances are being made now given the cost of energy as people are quite sort of interested in what it's going to cost them to run a greenhouse what advances are being made in the technology or the way the greenhouses are used that sort of helps with reducing energy. I would say one bugbear is that this needs to be upstream for all of us, how we manage energy, because it's being made difficult for those of us, you know, we all want to make the right decision, don't we? You know, we all want to look at greener energies, but, you know, we're not seeing that investment happening upstream. The first thing I'd say is if you are going to have a greenhouse, get power to your greenhouse if you can. Even if you think, I'm never going to heat it, I'm never going to do anything, it's really sensible because it gives you choices. You don't mm. have to plug anything into it, but it gives you choices. What we used in the greenhouse there, which is about five meters by three meters, um, is one simple plug-in heater. And we just kept the, the setting low. We didn't want it to go any higher really than five degrees. Mm. It's amazing, the solar gain. So your feet, you're feeling it now, it lifts the temperature, even in January. So you are you want to work with the sun, you, 
lines are always up in the winter, so you're getting as much as you can. So your ridge runs east-west. The front of the greenhouse is going to be south-facing, and that's where you want to be just getting as much of that natural sunlight in as possible. That will help the temperature. Um, at Chelsea, the setup we had was solar panels on the roof of the little shed, and the solar panel capacity we had was enough to run a simple heater like we had here. So solar is a really viable way of running your heat to your greenhouse. We have Harry Heating, one of our sister companies, run by one of our directors, because he is passionate about the mechanical and electrical side of the greenhouse. And and this is particularly in the large greenhouse, which, you know, you talk about greenhouses that are 20 metres long yeah. and are heated with a boiler house. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're looking at how efficient we can make this. So that, that's one end of the spectrum where we have these, if you see in Victorian greenhouses, these ornate floor grids. Yes, like cute. And they're another nostalgic thing, but they also serve a real purpose. They house tubular fin heaters that are generally a wet, a bit like the house wet radiator system that runs from a boiler. And that gives you your heat on a larger scale greenhouse. But also what it does is give you the opportunity for damping down. So in the greenhouse there, we would just water the floor in the summer just to kind of add a little bit of humidity yeah. into the environment. But depending on what you're growing in a larger greenhouse, you would literally put water in the little gullies where the heating pipes are to create humidity. And if you're heating greenhouses, well, now it's wintertime and it's temperate climate in here, do you notice a high instance of pests and diseases? Because I quite celebrate the fact that it's quite cold at home and hopefully most will be killed. But everything looks perfect in it. That's because we haven't got into that season. All our citrus have lived outside all summer. But when they go outside in sort of when the first frost, when the frost have gone kind of April, late April probably, they are desperate to get outside because they, and particularly here, so we are in this, this building we're in is double glaze, um, but the greenhouse, everywhere, because you get damp building up inevitably over the winter, you need to try and keep the greenhouse environment drier in the winter and then correspondingly a bit more moist in the summer. Um, so pests in the in the winter, you just do have to keep a real eye on and hygiene because they will hide away. Yes, you know, so they can do a lot of damage. Yes, I love that point because I think there's quite a tight rope for the gardeners tread now because there's obviously a lot of talk about leaving things yeah. alone, particularly outside, log piles, leaving your leaves, not cutting your lawn. But I think the greenhouse is still one place where mm. sort of hygiene is still relatively important because it is, after all, the sort of artificial environment, not a natural one. And you're creating life all the time in the greenhouse, in theory, and sustaining life, aren't you? And then putting it out to the garden. So it's almost like it's sort of this, mm. you know, this little engine room of sort of creation and then go and plant it out. And, you know, you can do that all year round. And it obviously everything slows in the winter. But the, I mean, the pest journey we had definitely. Anything that's dying or dead, you want to remove it. So you're keeping them, keeping everything that's in there as healthy as possible and doing pest checks. And when everything, so if I look at spring this year, when everything was, we were full packed for rafters, mm -hmm. the pest check took ages every day because literally we were turning up pots, looking to see if you had slugs, snails, and they, I mean, they could decimate. And, you know, on a high shelf, if you hadn't done a check, come in on Monday and, you know, half of them were being munched. And we don't do anything, you know, we just throw them out um, under the hedges or wherever and, you know, assume that they'll either come back or the birds will have them for lunch or, mm -hmm. but a natural way around. We did put, um, the aphids really arrived this, this spring in 
suddenly it's like, look, loads to eat. So we tried sticky tapes and um, we tried quite a lot of natural slug repellents, ground coffee, eggshells and wool. You know, so always trying, again, always just trying and experimenting and it's a good environment to do that. It's because winter used to be a good time to do greenhouse housekeeping, as in clear everything out, clean everything and put it all back in. But as Dan said, sending diseases is quite hard to do that. I think, Alatex, do you offer services, do you cleaning, and do you recommend that twice a year or once a year, or do you? I think once a year is fine, but, uh, but giving it a clean is, is a good idea because it, it is about limiting pest build up really more than anything else. And if you get, you know, if, the, if there's too much on the windows, you're going to limit UV lights, so you want to keep glass as clean as possible. But once yes. a year is fine, and, and really at a time that works for your greenhouse, autumn and spring are really good times, or any time in the winter depending on what you choose to do. What you don't want to do is to do it really well. You want to take everything out. Yes, so now would be a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think now, any any time between now and February again, depending. So let's look forward to spring because it is only three months away after all. Yes. And uh, <laughs> discuss the sort of guard, the greenhouse owner's big conundrum, which is how on earth do you make enough space mm-hmm. in there? So I think we all get to a point, don't we, in the spring, sort of April, maybe early May, when mm-hmm. the the sides need to expand. Yeah. <laughs> How do you maximise the space inside a greenhouse when you have those real peak moments of uh, growing? Well, no one has ever said, I wish I bought a small greenhouse. <laughs> <laughs> ever. Just think about what you want to do in it. Make sure you're kind of getting what you want out of it when you plan it. Um, we do benching, we do, we call them strawberry boards. They're sort of eaves height shelving that you can literally have all the way around the greenhouse and they're great for bringing seedlings in. And actually Elliot, one of our, one of our designers who's, um, he's just done his degree. Actually, he joined us years ago as a, as an apprentice doing, um, an engineering degree. And he, as part of his final project designed like a fold away bench, which is something that we're looking next year to put out them into production because it just tucks away but in those times when you think oh I need more space it just kind of, it's a really nice effective way mm-hmm. of giving yourself more mm-hmm. space last year for that period here which was utterly crazy we just bought in all tables we could find we made shelves on tables out of planks of wood and freeze blocks but that only lasts so long because when your plants grow to a certain size they yeah. don't want to be restricted we were playing musical plants all the time, but this is also when cold frames come into their own because cold frames, you have a sliding vent between the greenhouse and the cold frame. So the cold frame can borrow some warmth from the greenhouse. Ooh. Not warmth as such, but it will give it a better, a, 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 it won't be, it won't be icy cold. So if you keep your lids shut on your cold frames, you can bring some of your plants as they mature and they want to start slowing down and maybe toughening up a bit into your cold frames that cleared space so when we were able to do that mm-hmm. um we actually also did sort of create a makeshift shelter some stuff we just didn't want to be rained on heavily you know it's, it wasn't really a polytunnel it was just um like three like a roof and two sides that we could just sort of pop stuff in but yeah i mean, I mean we were growing in extreme quantities this spring but i think being a bit innovative, but if you are planning a greenhouse, just making sure you think, do I want raised beds if I'm going to grow tomatoes or aubergines, or do I want actual benching? It really depends on what you want to do in that space. 
Yeah. yeah. So I um I help a few clients plan their greenhouses if they've bought one in or they've inherited one. And it's more than a lot, there are no raised beds, which sort of drives me mad. But I just wonder when people approach you, would you advise them to have a raised bed or do you leave it up to the client? Or because I think raised beds are brilliant for all those things that you've said, cucumbers, tomatoes. Pots are all so good and you can, I guess, move them around. But would you encourage, do Panatex encourage people to have raised beds? Where raised beds work particularly well is in a lean to. You've got a wall and then you've got, you can put a raised bed all the way along the wall space and you can put anything from peaches, nectarines, so you know that they'll ripen and they can be in a really stable environment. Mm-hmm. You can grow vines. So if you go to Westine, that's a really perfect example of where they have raised beds all the way along the back walls, but not even raised beds, just going to ground, I think, um, and grapevines. If you have a smaller greenhouse, you really want to be thinking about that space of how much do I want to give over to a raised bed and then have a plan for it. So if I have tomatoes and chilies, aubergines are great in those. Another thing I learned is the plant's only going to really grow as big as the pot is letting it. That was a big lesson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's almost like we were just stifling and then we'd put them on and they'd be, oh, thank goodness, I can grow now. Um, so the same with these plants. So let's move on to summer then. We're really racing through the year now. So you mentioned about tomatoes, chilies, aubergines. What Can people be more adventurous of what they grow in their greenhouse in the summer? My favourite thing that we've grown a couple of times now inside is cabea, cabea scandens. Oh, yes. Cup and saucer vine. So behind you, Dan, is one. Yeah. So here, so it's obviously outside, it's glorious. It's my favourite climber. And the flowers are so beautiful. And it just goes bonkers. But then we get to this time of year. So outside, I last flower outside is now and it's gone and then you know first frost and it's just gonna be very tired in a greenhouse i think the one we had one in the lean-to and i'll show you we covered the back wall in one this time because it just looks so nice and that could go as long as we look after it for a couple years so it will last longer in that environment passion flowers and things like that just you've got another opportunity to get a bit more exotic with some things that won't cope with huge amounts of rain that you might have or not quite enough sun um, because you've just got a more stable environment. So if you want, it's almost like that crossing from some house plants that you might be more interested in. Citrus, I'd definitely say get outside for the summer. I would absolutely get outside because they just drive and they just become, I mean, they all look amazing now from the summer and the summer outside. And I suppose, again, it depends on, you know, we have one of our clients is a really avid orchid collector, really rare valuable orchids. Um, and it, everything is perfect for orchid care. Yeah. So I think it probably opens up lots of opportunities for you. Again, it's that experimenting, isn't it? Trying different plants or things that maybe don't work in your house because your house doesn't have enough light, but would work pretty nicely inside a greenhouse. And let's just pretend it's midsummer, dreaming on, it's boiling hot. What measures can be put in place to prevent us from sitting in a sauna and expiring? The one thing, if you have a sunny southerly aspect we would always recommend shading the greenhouse because you see you know the old greenhouses they sort of whitewash them and that's fine but you have to take it off in the winter you have to take it off because yes. you know, you're limiting the light that gets through so it's not a very convenient flexible method you play with the blinds in the summer winter pretty much always they're up so ventilation and shading is the key combination and 
ventilation is through the roof vents. So the roof vents tend to have on a smaller greenhouse called a Bayless piston, so wax, a wax cylinder that expands and contracts according to temperature. And that will open and close according to what's going on in the, in the greenhouse. And then we have these really large top hung side vents and they're on a piece of fence here and you sort of ratchet it down, put a pin through. And in the summer, you're going to have those wide open yeah. and you're going to have them open all the time. And what happens is then you get this natural chimney effect because as the hot air escapes through the roof fence, it naturally draws cooler air in through the side vents. So you're always having this continual air exchange. So having the side vents open is really crucial. If you go away on holiday for two weeks and you leave your side vents shut tight, no matter how wide your roof vents are open, nothing's going to be creating mm -hmm. that chimney effect to push the air through. So from, a, from your point of view, the only thing you have to do is decide where you open your vents to and the rest will take care of itself. I mean, in the summer, we literally have the doors wide open all the time and we have our shades on the outside. Lots of people say, why are they on the outside? So, well, that's where the light and the heat come through the glass. They're in the greenhouse. So you're kind of trapping them. So it just makes perfect sense to us to put them on the outside of the greenhouse. And then you play with those at will because, you know, there were definitely times in the summer where we'd have the blinds always up and then the minute you get a hot spell, blinds down. So the, the side vents and the blinds are the things that you sort of, they your tools to kind of try and help the atmosphere in the, in the summer months. So we've sort of come full circle, haven't we? Back, back to autumn. We're at the very end of, of autumn now and the tomatoes are flagging and there's not much in there. What, what can people do in their greenhouses in autumn? What's the, what's the next step? Well, I think for now we are, we've had a bit of clean. We've had clean and tidy up and sort out. And we are ordering some extra LED lights for us for this winter. They were a really great thing to use for the growing that we did for the shows. We've got some bulbs in there that we are now we're both going to put outside to slow down. And we are sowing for next year. And we're propagating. So we're playing around with, you know, a bit of propagation, seeing what we can recreate from the plants we have. And sitting in there on a nice day having a cup of tea. Um, so yeah, don't forget all the important uses of the greenhouse at this time of year and hiding from people probably at this time of year. I think that's probably high on lots of people's agendas. Well, funnily enough, I was going to ask you, you know, <laughs> is there a role for the greenhouse at Christmas? What, how can you, how oh, can well, you use go. it? So, um, I think it's this lovely nurturing space. No, I think it is, um, it, you know, if you're going to do flowering, if you can do anything, wreath making, all of those things, you know, your greenhouse is the perfect spot to be doing all of that because... Again, you bring all of that inside and it's too hot, it's too dry. And it's, yeah, I th well, I think we all know that over the Christmas period, time time apart from your loved ones is as good as time with loved ones, <laughs> just to keep their energy high. I'm definitely found in my greenhouse on Boxing Day. <laughs> yeah, sanctuaries, they're yes. sanctuaries, same yes. spaces. And also I think it's okay to be a little bit messier in a greenhouse and, you know, however much, you know, you, you bring things indoors and you can tidy up after yourself, but it's kind of okay to be a little bit messier oh, totally. with you too when you're outside. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's the nice freedom of it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I think they're just magical places to be. And when we have a show or an event and people come in and they just pause and it's that smell which you alluded to earlier, mm. and that feel that, and just being surrounded by, by greenery in a sort of quite intense space. Um, similarly, to our listeners who might be considering purchasing a greenhouse, maybe on their Christmas list, 
what are the three main things that should be considered for putting a greenhouse in a garden? Aspect, put it in the right space. Don't put it under a big tree. Don't put it where it's not doing enough. It's all about light. You're using the elements, you're using light ultimately. So get it in a spot. Again, that point of bridge running east-west. So light is critical, I think, and a good sunny space. Um, ventilation, whatever greenhouse you get, get a greenhouse with good ventilation. You will notice the difference in the summer months if it hasn't got enough ventilation. Um, and really think about what you want to do in it because just going, oh yeah, I'll go and get a greenhouse and it'll be six by 10 and I'll just pop this in it without the thought. Often, you know, that buyer's remorse, not of buying the greenhouse, but of not thinking it through. When we're with customers, we often get canes and bits of string and, and more canes go, well, could they put the bench there and with that table you want to fit in this space, really visualize it in the area you want it to be. Because once it's built, it's built. And these are, you know, when we make a greenhouse, it's, it's a last for life. Mm -hmm. So any decision like that, we think don't take lightly. And then finally, if you are not going, or even if you are going for a painted wood, think about the color, because it's a real, you're gonna look at it potentially in your garden all the time. And some of the, obviously whites and off whites have been very popular for years and years. There was a really strange period of juniper greens and sort of deep greens for a while, and that's sort of waned. And now muted colours that really blend with your environment. Because actually, if you look at a greenhouse, you want to be looking through and out and through and in. You don't really want the greenhouse itself to scream and shout at you. I mean, they do in some situations and they look perfect, but think about the colour, um, how it fits with your house, how it fits with the rest of your garden. Because your greenhouse is are beautiful they are works of art and often greenhouses can be tucked away and i find it's so important to have it positioned somewhere where you can enjoy it and see it even if you can't get into it that day but also what a shame that greenhouses are tucked away i just wonder whether more people are putting them in more prominent positions now but i think they are i think and also it's that this is kind of a tie it kind of pulls you in if it's hidden out of sight out of mind a little bit but if it's there you're like oh, i'm getting out there you, and it just kind of, you know, it's a little kind of invisible thread pulling you towards it. <laughs> um, and I think people are thinking they're, you know, designing their gardens more in the in recent years, aren't they? Yeah. Than they maybe did before. And thinking, I want to sit outside when it's nice. You know, a lot of people will design a terrace, outdoor kitchen sort of things around the greenhouse. Because, you know, you want to have a dining table inside the greenhouse, outside the greenhouse. And, you know, want to go and pick things from the greenhouse. You know, maybe your fridge might be in the greenhouse. Who knows? <laughs> Rosé. But, you know, it, it's cre you're creating a whole space, entertaining, growing, and sort of having it all together. You know, I think it's um, it does give you a really nice opportunity. And uh, and it's a lovely thing to look at, as you say, if it's a nice-looking structure. Now, Julia and I had a little discussion about this because I have a very small garden, and Julia has had a very small London garden. Is there a garden that is too small for a greenhouse? That's a really good question, Dan. At Chelsea and at Hampton, we get people going, it's far too big, I could never fit it in my garden. And I'll say, well, how big is your garden compared to this stand, for instance? And we go, oh, it's bigger than that. We have this hang-up, I think, in this country of lawn, beds, and maybe a bit of a vegetable patch or something, and maybe a shed. And actually, why? Why do we have that hang-up? And it's what garden designers do this in their sleep. They kind of challenge people how they think about the space. And, but... I think you, when you're on a plane, you go over 
houses and you see this patchwork, you know, gardens are all pretty, pretty formulaic, aren't they? Yeah, our beds and grass and sheds and stuff like that. Um, and they don't have to be. And if you think your garden is small and you're going to create this space in your garden, you can be in all year round and enjoy all year round. You're actually really maximizing that space in your garden, aren't you? Rather than, you know, well, from the months of October through to April, I'm not really going to go outside. It's all about your mentality and what you, how, again, the imagination and, you know, having it tucked away and hidden in a larger garden. And I think, you know, not everyone has a large garden, but they're definitely not, you know, I, so my answer is, and there's a greenhouse that goes in there and fits, actually, it always feels a bit small on that space. Mm. And we had two huge beds, a big area for a table. So it was a perfect ingredients for a nice little garden, actually. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm sure that people find that very encouraging to think that they can sort of challenge their, maybe their perceptions of what they can fit in. There are many ways of having a greenhouse, whole multitude, which is what makes it accessible. Um, but I think you should think it through whatever greenhouse you're going through. I think those yeah. principles apply. So, Nelly, um, we always like to ask our interviewee a fantasy question. Oh, really? <laughs> Don't get excited. Um, so, what would your dream greenhouse be? I know there's one on your list. There is, yeah. And how would it look? What would you use it for? Okay, let's go for the dream, which I don't think I'll have. My dream is the Ickworth National Trust Greenhouse. It's a cruciform shape. So you have this ability to create two really different sides and you can link it so you can have a door. If you imagine you've got four sort of gable ends, you could have a door opposite each other or kind of adjacent to each other. I would have, I'd have it smack bang in the middle of the garden. This is if I was totally redesigning the garden, which I'm not. It's fantasy. Um, it's a fantasy. Yeah. So yeah, so I'll have this beautiful flower filled garden on this side of it. And you'll go in and there'll be a beautiful dining table. Think Petersham Nurseries vibes. Yeah. Go there. Yeah. That'll be the right hand side. There'll be a cabinet with a fridge and a freezer. So I've got nice ice. So you can have entertaining all year round. And then on the left, an absolute mad haven of plants. I'll have a cabaya growing all the way around the ceiling. <laughs> I'll have candles and it'll just be packed all year round. And then you go out the other door into my vegetable garden at the back. Can I pick a, who I'd like to be my gardener? Yes. Oh, yes. Go on. So it's a cross between Stanley Tucci. Oh, no, he can be inside the greenhouse making the cocktails. Good clown. That would be perfect. And then maybe, no, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, you know, maybe if you extended the invite, Stanley Tucci would come. Yeah. I think you've just talked about the most perfect next Chelsea Flower Show design. <laughs> One greenhouse suits all. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But no, in reality, I'd probably do a, just a small version of that. Lovely. <laughs> so, Nelly, thank you so much for having us here at Alatex. I've learned so much from you in the last 45 minutes or so i'm i there's so much that i didn't know and that little trick about having the air going between the cold frame and the greenhouse all that sort of thing these sort of things will stay with me so thank you very much indeed it's been a pleasure and we hope that our listeners have got a lot out of learning how they can use their greenhouse through the year so thank you very much and thank you also for your sponsorship of our podcast, no, which we are very grateful for.
we are. We wouldn't be here without you. So thank you. Pleasure. And thank you very much for trekking over to Hampshire to see it. It's a pleasure. Always a treat to come here. You've been listening to the Two Good Gardeners podcast with Dan Cooper and Julia Parker, sponsored by Alatex, home of the modern Victorian greenhouse designed in the UK for over 70 years and built worldwide. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then why not click follow on your favourite podcast platform so you don't miss out. Leaving a rating or writing a review will help us reach other gardening enthusiasts like you. We'll return here with a freshly prepared smorgasbord of delights in a fortnight. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Dan Cooper Garden, at Parkers underscore Patch, and at Two Good Gardeners, or visit our websites. You'll find the addresses in the show notes. If you've got questions for either of us, you can email them to hello at dancoopergarden.com. Until the next time, happy gardening. <laughs> <laughs>